Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, uh, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia. I am a stripper. I am also a digital content creator. And I was also in my former life a sugar baby back in the day. Apologies, I just wanted to let you know I am I caught a cold a couple days ago. So if you're wondering, like this doesn't sound like me, it's because I am congested right now. Um, uh, and it's like not so fun. Um, so if you hear some sniffling in the background or some tissues ruffling in the, in the background, that is why. Um, I'm trying my best to recover, drink lots of liquids, all that. But just bear in mind uh, that is what's going on with me. Um, if you didn't know what the show is about, if it's your first time tuning in here, this show is all about sex work. And it's mainly about educating people in terms of like destigmatizing the industry, honoring our work, celebrating our work and the people that are in this community, and just to help people provide like a better understanding of the work that it is we do. And I kind of cover like all aspects and all corners of it, uh, including this week, which I'm really really excited to kind of embark on. Um, first of all, shout out to a rough star car, Justin Erickson, brand new patron here, Jay Sunsern, who are all on the top tier of my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strip by Sia. Um, these people are really, really um, critical in helping me produce the podcast. It's just a little bit, a little bit goes a long way. As you know, I do the show for free. So a little bit helps. So thank you. Uh, for all of your support there. Feel free to peep the link if you want in the show notes. But again, sorry to interrupt, but you're going to go back, <laughs> back, back, back to introducing today's guest, who I'm really, really excited to have on the show. We just connected recently over uh, Sex Work Twitter because Sex Work Twitter is awesome and all the other platforms that go along with it. So I am so excited to introduce everyone to Lindsay Swanson, who is a financial advisor at Stripper Financial Planning and podcast host of A Scoop of Vanilla podcast, who is going to talk to us about all about, you know, financial planning. Maybe we're talking about estates, health insurance, your retirement, things to do with that as well as a little bit on taxes because the tax season is coming up. So Lindsay, are you there? I am here. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me on the show. Super excited to be here. So excited to have you as well. Like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really, really stoked to have a nice chat with you and to talk all things about planning in terms of like life planning, financial planning, all the things that we need to do to, you know, live. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked that you were here to join me today. I was wondering if I butchered your intro or if that was like kind of accurate, but feel free to go ahead and spin it in your own words and terms and go. <laughs> no, it was perfect. You're wonderful. You did it. Proud of you. Yeah. Um, I am a financial advisor and I am the founder and advisor at Stripper Financial Planning. So um, the short version is that um, I'm a financial advisor. I give advice specifically to clientele that are sex workers. Um, so that's a lot of different adult entertainers. Um, people who are on OnlyFans, people who strip in person, um, you know, and I can only work with people who are operating legally in their areas, unfortunately. So, uh, but that still includes um, people who are full service sex workers um, in certain areas of Nevada. Um, yeah, so that's essentially what I do. And then also I have a, a podcast um, to talk about all those things as well. 
So exciting. I love it. I love it. I love it. You do so many things. You're Wonder Woman. <laughs> and of course, a lot of things that you do helps a lot of us too in the community uh, because like there's – it can be so overwhelming navigating these aspects of life and this aspect of running our own businesses, right? Because most of the time we are independent contractors, right? So – We're going to get into the nitty gritty of everything today, but I know there are a lot of listeners from everywhere. So there's sex workers, there's clients, there's, you know, people that are just pure vanilla, which is totally okay listening to the show, but let's get some background in terms of like who you are, like where did you come from? What's your story? How did you land here? And how did you, how did you think about, you know, starting your firm stripper financial planning? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm originally from California in the Bay Area, Vallejo, uh, serial killer USA. Um, And then I live in Humboldt (laughs) County now in the Emerald Triangle. So I'm like surrounded by weed. It's really, it's really chill place to live. Um, And I live in a super small fishing town. There's like 700 people. And so it's just like, I work virtually across the US, but it's just like me and the ocean, baby. So it's pretty, it's a pretty good gig. Um, But I am vanilla myself. um, And I... I, it's funny because I, I got into this specific niche of working with sex workers um, for a bunch of different reasons, but one of them is just because, like, selfishly, sex workers are just way more fun to work with as clients than, like, your normal clientele. So I come from, like, the wealth yes. management world, right? And it's all, like, really stuffy old white people that are retired and, like, tell you you look 16 and are like, my grandchildren are terrible at finances, so why would you be good at it? And I'm like, I don't know, because I went to college and like studied for forever and took all these hard exams and I'm trying really hard, but that's fine. Yeah, so selfishly, (laughs) now that I'm here, I'm just like, oh my gosh, these clients are the best. They're so nice. They don't like randomly sexually harass me. I don't have to like fight with them about things. It's just, it's ideal. But in terms of why I got into it, You know, I kind of had a traumatic childhood, abusive parents, and um, had a hard break with them when I was like 18, 19. And so Mm -hmm. I found myself in the place that, um, you know, a lot of the people who go into sex work to support themselves find themselves in. Um, And and one of the things that I talk about that's tricky to talk about, but I feel like this is the right audience, is that um, you can't see me, but I am a white girl. Um, and blonde, and I grew up Christian, and so I know how to interact in those spaces. And it was just, it was really easy for me to get hired. It was easy for me to get hired because I have a very white name. Um, I'm like bubbly and smiley. And so there was a lot of privilege that allowed me to just kind of go into a random workplace and be like, will you please give me a job? And they did. And I think that at the time I was like, this is me and I did it. Um, And looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, if I didn't present as straight as I do, if I didn't present as white as I do, as like socially acceptable as I do, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so it was still stupid hard, right? Um, I still had to, you know, figure out how to handle my own finances without any safety nets and educate myself. And, you know, the more I educated myself, the more I was like empowered of like, financial independence is the shit. Like realizing you can take care of yourself and you don't have to lean on someone else. I was like, yeah, this is it. And so I got more and more into it. Right. Um, and then I was like, this is a field that I like can be good at. And it's funny because I grew up not being good at money. I, my parents told me like, women aren't good at finances. I wasn't good at math. Um, and so I was like, it's not a possibility, but then I started to teach myself and I was like, oh, this isn't a static thing. Like being bad at money isn't something, it's not a personality trait you're born with. (laughs) 
Um, right. So <laughs> I got into the Anyway, I got into the financial world and I was working in it and I was like, this sucks. Uh, it's really old school. And like, there's so much nepotism. And, you know, it was like, I was working with rich people and just making them richer. And it's not that they didn't deserve good quality financial advice. It was just that like, it was an oversaturated market. And when people came in that were different, if they were, you know, trophy spouses, or if they were sex workers, or if they were honestly, like just queer, there was so much discrimination and so much that I couldn't do about it as being a low-level employee. And so once I had enough experience and when I, once I had like those designations behind my name, I was like, I, I just want to do my own thing. I want to be able to work, you know, I want to be able to work with clients that, that don't fit in the typical box. I want to be able to help people that aren't being respected or are being discriminated against. And so that's <laughs> the long version of how I got into this. I love it. I, I, and I probably could have like listened more. <laughs> there was more. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's okay. Wow. So many things here. So, well, one, yes, realizing your privilege. Privilege is a huge thing. And we've talked about privilege so many times on, on the show here as well. But uh, kudos to you for acknowledging that and acknowledging that um, or kind of early on because I feel like a lot of people still navigate life and they're – it just like – <laughs> goes over their head. I'm like, yeah. ah, check yourself, please. <laughs> For sure. And then um, uh, it really just sounded to me, uh, even though your parents said that you, you, you're bad at money, like, or women are bad at money and, you know, all that stuff, which is just really so old school to even like <laughs> – think like that it good for you for persevering and and you know finding out that hey this is something that you like to do and hey I'm actually good at it like wow surprise and like lastly another observation I heard too was just it just really sounds like you might have found like your purpose because it it just sounds like you want to help people absolutely and that really really came out it's a fun field because, I mean, it's fun, but as I say this, like everything I do is extremely boring. And so a lot of times I have clients tell me like, you know, they'll come to me and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what I can do and how I can work with them. And they're like, isn't this stuff available for free online? I'm like, absolutely it is. So go to the IRS website and like, you absolutely can do it. And people do. It's just that it like, it sucks. Um, So whenever people are like empowered, I'm like, please like learn, educate yourself. But at a certain point, a lot of us, especially sex workers are like, I could spend 45 minutes on the IRS website, like reading over this and like hitting my head against a table, or I could go do my job (laughs) that I'm like comfortable (laughs) with and I could delegate it and then just not have to think about it again. Um, So I definitely (laughs) appreciate that because God, it's, it's so boring sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have to agree with you. Like whenever I think of numbers and whenever I think of like taxes, like it just – or like even banking, something simple as banking or investments, I just like start like glazing over (laughs) and losing interest. And like honestly, sometimes like when you want to be self-directed, this stuff sometimes is really, really, really hard to grasp and can be very overwhelming and – especially when you are dealing with the IRS. So in American terms here, it can be like, you don't want to, you don't want to fuck it up because that can have like consequences. Right. So um, I feel like a lot of us in this expert community are just like, Oh, I just really want to do this. Right. I'd rather just like hire somebody that knows what they're doing and somebody that has like the right intentions. So this is why we hire people like you. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I guess like going into some specifics, I feel like we need to kind of start off at like like ground zero in terms of like what is financial planning and what does that encompass? Um, what, what do you focus on or what do you offer? What kind of services do you offer? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, coming from like the, the school and the traditional side of it, it's like comprehensive planning is like all of these things. It's insurance and it's estate planning and it's cash flow management and it's all this stuff. And then when you go to talk to like real people, like you said, they glaze over because they're like, can you just like skip to the thing that I'm wondering about right now? And so for a lot of people, it's like taxes. They're like, okay, I don't know. I think I have to make estimated tax payments. I don't know how to handle like at one company, I'm an employee. So they give me a W-2 at the end of the year. At this other company, they send me a 1099. Um, and I don't know like if I need to set money aside for taxes throughout the year and it just becomes very overwhelming but you can't opt out of that because it's like (laughs) I mean you could but eventually it'll catch (laughs) up to you or you know you can it's not that people don't live off the grid and I think you know where I live um, in Humboldt there's a lot of people off the grid but it really you hit a level where you're like oh if I can't prove my income then I have to work with landlords that don't need proof of income if I can't prove my income then I can't get a traditional mortgage or I can't get a car payment um, or a car loan, excuse me. You know, I can't, I can't open up a bank account. I can't open up an LLC. And it starts to like, it really keeps you from hitting that next level. And all of those systems, like the banking institutions and your credit score and, and all of those systems are built to help the wealthy be wealthier. And so you have to like, even if you're a rebel, you have to play the game. You have to be like, okay, fuck the system. You know, I'm going to vote against it. I'm going to, you know, show it my middle finger, but also I'm going to like take the time to figure out how it can serve me because I, I don't want to just be on the sidelines. Like I, I want to be a part of it. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the time I just focus on like, okay, you know, what are the things you are trying to do and what is keeping you from doing it? And a lot of it is like gate gatekeeping, like, you know, like your local bank isn't comfortable with how much cash you bring in, or you you don't know what kind of tax professional to work with, or you're afraid of going to an attorney's office because you don't know if they're going to be super condescending or like sexually harass you or take advances. Um, so a lot of it is just like, like with empathy, guiding people through like their everyday decisions, if that makes sense. No, that, that makes a lot, a lot of sense for sure. And you make it sound so um, like digestible. <laughs> That's the hope. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of advisors are like, they're kind of like bulldogs. Like you go and sit with them and they're in this big leather chair and it's like a big burly guy that you're like, I don't feel safe around you. And then they're like, let me tell you how you're stupid and you need to do what I tell you to do. And then maybe you won't be so stupid. And it's like, there's no reason for that guilt to be there. There's no reason for us to come in and say like, you idiot for buying coffee and you idiot for spending outside your means. Like there, there's no level of that in what I do because like the people we work with are human. Like people have reasons for debt. They have reasons Mm -hmm. for, you know, being uncomfortable with money. They have reasons for not having a bank account. So, you know, I really just try to meet people where they are and understand, you know, their experiences with money. If they're a lot of times, you know, you're the first person in your family that has, gotten out of like the poverty line, the, the first person who's gotten a bank account, um, the first person who's like really comfortable um, with the amount of money they're making. And so like meeting people at that space and being able to speak to that and even like sometimes the guilt they feel around it. 
I love that. That's so nice because I feel like a lot of the times, or maybe I'm just talking from my own personal experience, but I just feel like financial advisors that I've dealt with in the past don't have empathy and are don't just they just don't have your interests in mind. So this is like really, really refreshing to hear because I just feel like I never I've just kind of been accustomed and conditioned to like not trust people to bank anymore. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And like for good reason, because it's like, you know, if you look back at, at 2008 and the Great Recession, or if you look back at, um, you know, different times where the economy has been really struggling, the people in the banking system and the people in the wealth management industry are the people who are profiting during those times and then are being like, well, why can't you take care of yourself? Like, even though we're specifically like leeches that are taking your money when you're struggling. So I think it's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's hard because that's ridiculous, but um, I do think that you have to work extra hard if you are a professional in this field to say like, hey, like I'm not like the other shitty people and I'm going to, I'm just going to have to show that to you in my actions because like, it makes sense that you don't trust us. Like we're not trustworthy. So (laughs) Well, I think it's kind of alluding to the fact, like, in in terms of, like, you know, you have empathy, you have found your purpose uh, with doing what you do. Um, Why did you start your firm? Like, can you tell us the why, if you want to share? Yeah, for sure. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. I, and I think this is one of the reasons I get along with a lot of my clients is that I think sex workers are, are very good. Like it, you're obviously good at performing because that's part of your job. But the rest of the time is kind of like, fuck the world. Like I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care what you have to say about it. And like the more that I, I started out as a very conservative person, I grew up in a really religious household. And the more information I take in, the more I'm like, you fuckers, like, why are the systems like this? And so as I, each year, it just gets worse. And so I've become like kind of a difficult employee because I'm always like, well, do you have any policies in place for sexual harassment? Like, if my client is sexually <laughs> harassing me, like, what are you going to, are you going to protect me? Or are you just going to say like, well, we have to perform for the dollar, you know? And so I think I, I kept pushing the boundaries at each job. And I really realized like, hey, I'm going to probably have to start my own thing just so I can do it the way I want to. Um, and unfortunately, um, sex work is really stigmatized. So if you Obviously, yes. I don't have to tell you about that. Um, <laughs> especially in the banking industry. Like, I think it's starting a little bit in, like, TV and pop culture to be a little more chill. Like, there's a lot of people talking about OnlyFans. Um, but in tradi- traditional um, worlds in the banking industry and stuff, it's still really old school. And yes. um, you really kind of get, like, cock-blocked if you start interacting with anyone. And so even just, like, at previous firms, I wanted to put, like – LGBTQ friendly, like on the website, just so people knew that like, if they told me their pronouns, I was going to use them. Like if they, if they shared that they were in a queer relationship, I could like celebrate that and they didn't have to feel weird about it. And um, apparently they did have to feel weird about it because the management was like, no, you can't do that because it'll offend our conservative clients. Um, What? And it's like, okay. So (laughs) like, I I was like, I I don't want to, help like one demographic of people um and the funny thing is that not funny but like i don't know a lot of a lot of wealthy people are white a lot of wealthy people are conservative it is that way not because they work harder but because the systems are skewed to help them and so if you continue to only have professionals helping them then that just makes the issue worse and so you know as a professional i was like how can i 
how can I stay in my lane but still do something about this? Yeah. And for me, that meant like, you know, not just helping the one group of people that's already helped, like figuring out how to work with clients that that aren't normally being helped at traditional firms. Um, and so I started my firm in um, August of 2020. Wow. It was, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was good. I think that... Uh, I was, I was just immediately able to work with groups of people that I was never able to like reach before online publicly associate with. Yeah. 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 So even just like saying like black lives matter, like the management of my firms were always like, don't take political stands. Like we try to be neutral. And I was like, I, I'm not really a neutral human. Like (laughs) I want to push forward what I believe. Like don't make me be quiet. Yeah. I didn't even like really realize that, but you're absolutely right. And just financial institutions in general, they are – who benefits from that? I guess, like, as you mentioned, people – yeah, like, the people you mentioned, the groups you mentioned are the ones who are benefiting from that, the ones who are who are getting those services, which is kind of discriminatory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of times, you know, the firms charge off of um, – like, a lot of the, the firms that are giving really quality advice to be able to afford to do that, they charge off of the account balance that people have. So if people come in with a, you know, a retirement account that's $2 million, then they charge a percentage of that. Um, so if you are someone who doesn't have that large of an account, they'll be like, oh, well, we can't help you because that's how we make our money. We do it as a percentage. And so it's almost like that that entire business model is really – discriminatory and, and in most cases like racist just because of yeah. how the how the system has worked in the past right yeah um, no kidding so, yeah so um you know in, in my firm I really I was like I need to figure out a way to charge that isn't that isn't based off of how much money people have in investments and isn't based off of how much money people are making each each year that kind of like evens the playing field so that you know if you need help and you can afford to work with me, then you can work with me. And it isn't, you know, like a class system. Right, right. This is really interesting. Like how – because like I know and I, I kind of mentioned earlier too that, you know, like it's really hard for us, for sex workers to trust certain financial institutions. Um, but like how, in your own words, like how do you think that – or what is the best way – that sex workers or sex workers can go about finding a good financial advisor. Like, how do you seek that out? Like, it's so hard sometimes. I think it's really tricky. I mean, I think one of one of the hardest things that's very obvious once you think about it, kind of backwards, is that as a sex worker and as someone like in a stigmatized group, you want to be able to go into a professional relationship with someone who has already stated that they are going to be respectful and kind to you, that they they aren't just going to be like cool with what you're doing, but they're going to say like, hey, we're going to dig into like what deductions you have because of your sex toys and, and you know, the outfits that you buy for stripping, you know, are going to ask the extra step of like, hey, you probably don't have health insurance. Like, let's talk about the options for you. And if, if, advisors aren't able to or choose not to publicly associate with a group, then like it makes it really hard to do that. So I think the first step is, you know, finding someone who's like willing to publicly associate with you, which is such a low bar. Um, (laughs) So that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was like, I'm just going to be upfront, even though I work with more people than just strippers, like I'm going to be upfront about like, there's no wishy-washy, like go to the small print of my website and like 
are you going to work with sex workers? Like it's very in your face. Um, But I also think that there are a lot of, there are a lot of professionals who are, are more open to that. And there's kind of an intense referral network, Um, you know? So if you meet, like for me, I want to make sure that the other professionals that I'm referring clients to, um, other tax professionals or attorneys are going to be sex worker friendly um, and are gonna treat them you know, with kindness and respect. And so part of that is making sure and taking the time that I'm like auditing them and, and making sure that they're gonna be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I can say like, hey, go work with this attorney, they can help you go over your contracts and know that they're gonna have, well, assume with good knowledge that they're going to have a positive interaction. Um, Cause otherwise it's like, you know, I don't want to send you to someone who, who is going to harass you or isn't going to use your pronouns. Like you don't need that. Yeah, no, we definitely don't need that. And we, we, already, we already have enough people that discriminate against us who already look at us a certain way and already go through a bunch of judgment and assumptions being made about us and our, our, are kind. I was saying, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's really tricky. I forgot to ask you too. Um, did you deliberately choose the name Stripper Financial Planning? Like, I did. Yeah. yeah. I Well, so it's interesting because I, and this might um, bite me in the ass later too. So I, I think incorrectly thought that Stripper would get through a lot more of the um, filters the internet has rather than sex worker. Um, and I think that there's a decent chance later on that I'll have to like do like stripper (laughs) with a dollar sign. Um, just because, you know, as, as you know, and how, as everyone knows, like stuff gets taken down off of social media all the time. Yes. Kind of luckily I'm a small enough account that that hasn't happened yet, but, um, I mean, that's a, that's the other tricky thing. Right. And I think that that's something that sex workers deal with all of the time that other people in the industry, not in the industry, other people in like the professional world don't even think about. Like they don't think about the fact that like you can't even really say what you're doing publicly because it gets taken down. So it's like, I'm this vague thing that you're going to appreciate. And then my account gets taken down and then I'm like the new version of that, um, which is really stressful. And honestly, like good for all of you because that's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Life can be very challenging. <laughs> can be and I'm sure like we've addressed a lot of different struggles that we've been through discrimination um censorship that happens on an ongoing basis just being as sex being a sex worker which is really 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 hard really hard and on so many levels right so um yeah I was really really curious about the name so <laughs> I think it's really cool that you are super upfront about that and you're able to like wear the honor sleeve because so many people in corporate and in in your uh, in the traditional like finance industry would want to bury that down very very far yeah right so yeah definitely like speaking of which like have you like what has the response been like from your former colleagues and professionals in the industry are smiling right now <laughs> um, it's been a really mixed bag you know I I've been kind of, I guess, prepared for this because I had, um, this isn't at all the same, but I think a lot of people who like have come out have a very similar experience of like, I was very religious. And then um, when I was 18, 19, I really kind of turned my back on that. And so all of my community around there were kind of like, okay, no, never mind to you. Like you're the outcast, blah, 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 which I think is very common actually, but I didn't realize that. And so I've already kind of like felt that. So this is like the second version of it, but, um, you know, 
my family and close friends are a little on the fence about it. They're kind of like, does it have to be <laughs> like, does it have to be that? And it's funny because people like answer the question when they ask it. They're like, well, why? It's not that stigmatized. Like, why would you need to work specifically with that group? And I'm like, because you're asking this question. Yes. Like, you're feeling weird about it because it's stigmatized. So like, how do you think other people feel? But um, the financial industry has definitely had like a mixed response to it. Like the most that I'm getting is really like private messages from people being like, I just can't publicly associate with you. However, I'm super supportive of what you're doing. I just know that I would get in trouble if I like, liked a post or shared a post. Um, But I did have, you know, I've had some backlash in terms of there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of compliance that goes into being an advisor that that gives investment advice, there's a lot of rules that you have to follow. Um, oh. And so there's a lot of different parties that you have to, to interact with to make sure you're doing it legally. And there's been some tension there of people like not wanting to say, not wanting to say the name of the company and not wanting to talk about what I'm doing and like not responding to my emails. And um, I was doing some freelance work for a couple clients that were outside of the sex worker realm, Mm -hmm. um, you know, while I'm working on my company and it's becoming more profitable. And um, they decided to stop working with me because they didn't want to like associate with like the sex worker brand. And I was like, and I'm not even doing sex work. I'm getting in this backlash. So I, Ah. I can't even really imagine how it feels for my clients who are just living their life, doing a job, and then people feel some type of way about it. Um, Wow. But I do think, you know, that should change, right? Like the more that we talk about it, the more that I like, like say dildo in public places. Like I think that it will start to like normalize it um, because I've had a few um, articles come out in like wealth management magazines and you can tell that it's just making everyone uncomfortable because they're like, you know, they obviously, because we, we know that they, they, are patrons of sex work. Like they obviously pay for yes. sex work. They know what it is. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's showing up in their, in their newsletters and they're like, Oh, why are we talking about it? That's supposed to be my dirty secret that I pay for. <laughs> um, so it's a riot. I love that. Hey, congratulations to you. That's, that's huge. Thank you. Huge, yeah. huge news. And I love that because you said a really, really cool thing there. Like you're making people uncomfortable, but that is a good thing because you're, you're shaking things up in this very, very, very traditional old boys world. And we need people like you. <laughs> we need more people like you to kind of normalize it. And as you said, just by having conversations, just talking about it, because this is just like, you know, a profession, a different profession that needs to be treated yeah, exactly. equally. So really, really cool. I mean, it, I mean, and you've already kind of expressed it too. Like it, it can't have been easy for you starting this business with that name. Have you have you lost a lot of business as well? I know you mentioned the one couple that, you know, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I think it's just um, hard to know, you know, how quickly I would have grown if I had other business. But I think that it's for the best. Like I think it's hard whenever you have a very specific niche. And I'm sure that this is the same case for, um, you know, the people that work in kink that like, they have a very specific thing that they start with. At the beginning, it's slow because it's not like you're, you're not targeting everyone in the audience. You're, you're targeting a very specific group of people. So in the beginning you have slower growth, but then ideally it's more profitable long-term because you have a group of people that are like, you're exactly serving what I want you to serve. You're, you're doing exactly what I want. And because you have so many people um, in common, it, you have shared interests. And I, I think that that's really helpful. And for me, it's meant, you know, if I'm not 
even if I'm not just like only going to work with women or young women, if I'm specifically working with this group of people, which is not gender specific, then I can really format the information that I give and the advice I give to their specific needs. And it's not like, okay, well, you should, you know, contribute to your 401k at work. And people are like, okay, well, I I don't have that. So can you tell me something actually helpful? (laughs) Right, right. Gosh. Okay. So many things here. Like I want to kind of go into more details too, in terms of like the services that you offer people and that you help. And did you want to start off with 401k and like how strippers and sex workers, all kinds of sex workers can prepare for that? Yeah, definitely. So I I think that in terms of retirement, I mean, there's a few different conversations to be had there. And I think especially with sex workers, you know, you're talking about understanding. I don't try to push anyone into leaning into sex work or transitioning out of sex work. But I do think you want to have the conversation of like, for instance, if you're in person stripping, is that sustainable for your body, for your mental health long term? Even if you love it, like is being in five inch heels for in the middle of the night, all of the time, really something that you can sustain in your life, maybe in a short term, but in the long term, maybe not. And so talking about, you know, retirement as a fluid concept of like, maybe that means you're transitioning into other sex work space. Maybe that means that you're, you know, I see a lot of people who they've become grand and so then they become a life coach or they be, they're so good at social media and photography and that side of it that they, they turn it that into a business. Um, so I think we have a lot of those conversations, but in terms of like, there are accounts and, the one that we're used to the most is a 401k and that's associated, you know, with an employer, but there are accounts that have tax advantages by, um, you know, putting money before, before you get it in your paycheck into this account. And there's the same thing that's available to people who are self-employed. So there's an individual 401k account. There's um, an account called a a simple um, IRA. There's a SEP IRA and there's a lot of, you know, there isn't one option that fits people the best, but, um, you know, one of the main things that I talk about is once you get to that point where you're, you're really covering your bases, you have your emergency fund in place, you have your savings in place, then there, it starts to become a game of like, okay, I'd love to not pay taxes on all of this profit. So how can I move it over into another account, save for the future and not have to pay as many taxes on it? And so those are, those are conversations that I have a lot Um, And that are really valuable because I think that especially if you're making more money than you ever have and you're living in luxury and there's a lot of like shiny things around. um, And if, you know, a lot of us came from a scarcity mindset when we were younger, we didn't have things. And so when we start to have things, we're like, we kind of like grab them as much as you can't see me, but I'm physically grabbing something. Um, (laughs) Grab things as much as we can because we're like, this is fleeting. I'm not going to, I'm not going to always be able to buy that bag or that car or that vacation. So I want to experience it. Um, so a lot of, <laughs> a lot of what I'm doing, which it sounds like kind of a Debbie Downer, but it's talking about like, Hey, like you aren't identified by that. You've made money before you're making money. Now you're going to make it in the future. And so you don't have to just spend it. You can, you can think about yes. yourself in a year and five years and 10 years. Yeah. Like I, I chose you. to pause just as you were taking a drink. That was, that's on me. <laughs> No, that's okay. (laughs) You're doing amazing. I I think you really hit hit the nail on the head on that one too because like, you know, I was definitely guilty of that at some point in my life. A lot of us, you know, like, hey, one of the perks of being a sex worker and depending on like what kind of sex work you do, but in general, it's for financial freedom. And 
this type of work allows us to, yeah, as you mentioned, buy that bag or buy that car or, you know, I'm going to invest in the apartment or something. Like it, it enables us to gain access and make money a lot faster in a lot of ways. But then a lot of the times, like a lot of my old sugar baby friends, like we're really consumed with wanting to buy things now and having it now. And now that they're not in the sugar bowl anymore, they're back working in a different kind of job, you know, that's maybe not making not as much money as they did before. And they don't really have much to show for. Like, what can you say in those kind of circumstances? Because a lot of the times we're really stuck in the here and now, but like, it's really smart to think about our future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of the things that I've found probably like one of the most fun parts of my job is like, really communicating the value that sex workers have in terms of just like skills because we're so used to I think especially as a business owner I like see it very clearly but we're so used to being like we even had a question about this like oh shit what do I do what do I do if I transition out of this and then I'm trying to put on my resume like the skills that I have like how do I explain that and I think that um as young people too like we don't understand the value of like knowing how to make like let's look at you. You're a great example. Knowing how to make a podcast, like running your own social media, like doing your own marketing, creating a brand around yourself that isn't specific to only fans or isn't specific to one platform and like having the value be you. And that's something that like, you know, other people who are older, more established, you know, did like the traditional career route. They have the experience and they know how to play the game, but they don't have like that that spirit that says, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's so valuable. And I think that like, there is a way to communicate that it, you have to think outside the box, but there's a way to communicate that to, um, to employers or a way to translate that to being, um, you know, a boss or a business owner in an, in another type of industry. And I think like, you know, (laughs) a lot of times when I'm talking to my clients, I'm like, you would be a great project manager. Like you're so good at all of this and you're also good at like the client facing stuff because you have to be, um, yeah, yes. so I'll get off that soapbox. But I just think like, there's so much value there that people are like, oh, you know, it is stigmatized. There, there's no doubt around that, but there are so many skills there that we're just like, well, we have to do it. And it's like, yeah, but people go to school for that. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you brought up so many great points there too, because like, I feel a lot of times that some sex workers, we don't give ourselves enough credit in terms of like, there's so many transferable skills in sex work that can be translated over into sales. As you mentioned, project management, um, administrative skills, marketing, branding. There's like a lot of things that, you know, be maybe turkey for granted or you just don't really realize it yet that, hey, I'm doing all this, these executive skills and those can you know, later on be useful when you decide you want to leave or exit. And that's a topic that I want to do an episode on at some point. You just reminded me, but (laughs) thank you for that. (laughs) I think that's a good idea. I think you should definitely get into it because I I see a lot of value there. Totally, totally. Like what about healthcare? I know a lot of people will struggle with accessing healthcare or health insurance or navigating that. And especially in the U.S., it's a little bit different than Canada, where healthcare here is free. 
Um, <laughs> but I don't see you. It, it must be nice. <laughs> but you know what? Getting benefits and stuff in Canada when you were self-employed, you know, because you when you were employed full time, or when you have a yeah, usually when you're employed full time here in Canada, you'll get access to different kinds of benefits like registered massage therapy, naturopath, uh, physio, all the stuff that you can you know, up to $500 a year per service, right? Um, but we, when you are a independent contractor, you won't get those benefits. And I feel like some, sometimes people don't know how to get their own healthcare or how to get access to that and have coverage. Uh, and I know there's a lot of American listeners here on the show too, so we can definitely go into that area if you want to speak about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Um, I'll specifically talk about the U.S. because I don't know dog shit about other countries, but I do about here. And I'm in um, California. So, you know, as someone who doesn't have, if you're self-employed, and I'm also self-employed, so I have to do it as well. But um, if you don't have access to that, you know, a job a job besides other things when you're an employee provides a lot of safety nets. So a lot of times there's, you know, short-term disability. So if you like broke your arm and were off work for two months or something, they would pay a portion of your pay. Um, you know, you have vacation leave, you have, um, maybe if you have a nice job, you have like maternity leave. Um, and there's these systems in place to really help you so that if something happens, uh, emergency happens, you, you aren't immediately like, oh, I can't afford my bills. I have to live out of my car now, you know, and health insurance is a big one with that. Um, and I think that it's, it's really important to talk about because so many, whether it's families or because of, uh, work situations, a lot of people never have to worry about that. Um, and, and one of the things too, is that, um, a lot of times you can stay on your parents' plan until you're 26. And so you're like, okay, cool. That's enough time to figure it out. But what they don't talk about, so not everyone has a good relationship with their parents or has stable parents until they're 26. So like, even yeah. if your dad has a health insurance plan that you could stay on, that doesn't mean he likes you, you know? And I think especially <laughs> with sex workers, like, Nice. Um, that stigmatization and um, a lot of my clients are, are queer and maybe their parents stopped loving them when they came out. And so that's something that we really have to address and something that like normal financial services just like doesn't even touch on. And so, you know, when I when I first start talking to my clients and figuring out their situations, we talk about healthcare. Like, do you have it? You know, if you're if you're married, does your spouse have it through a work plan that you can get on? Um, is that something that's affordable for you to do? Could you have it through your parents if you have a good relationship? You know, do you have another, a lot of times people, you know, work a full-time job and they do sex work on the side. So could you get it through that, that job? Or do you need to get it through the marketplace? And so even that, even though it's this, this information is publicly available for free on the internet, but it's so overwhelming. It's, it's boring and it's tricky because like, <laughs> And even now on your taxes, if you don't have health insurance for a month, you have to pay a fine. Um, and so it's like, what? okay, I have to figure this out because they really want you to have health insurance. And so that's one of the things that I'm like, you know, there is no, there is no guilt and there's no shame in not understanding how this works. Like we aren't taught that. We're just pushed out into the world and told to figure it out. And then if you fail, yes. you know, people say that you aren't trying hard. <laughs> um, and so what I do is I metaphorically speaking, because I'm never in person with my clients, but I hold their hand and I'm like, okay, you are in this state. This is what health insurance looks like in your state. And then we go to the website and we look like, we look at, you know, a lot of times there's like a silver or a gold or a platinum plan. And we talk about 
you know, what happens there. Um, and we talk about the real life things like, you know, do you have mental health issues? Do you normally go to a therapist? Do you, is, does your therapist like take insurance? Does it make sense to pay for a health insurance plan that's a little more expensive because then you can get your insurance costs covered? You know, do you have a chronic health issue? Like, is that something that you have to go in and get treatments for pretty consistently? And, and you know, we talk about how that really looks for them. And, and that's something that is, it's so overwhelming and it's, it's more overwhelming when it's connected to your physical health or your mental health. And so, yeah. um, that, you know, that's something I get on my soapbox about this too, but like a lot of times what people will do, especially in their early twenties is just be like, I'm fine. Like I'm young. It's not going <laughs> to, is it really going to matter that much? I'm just going to not have it. And like, hopefully I don't break my arm. And especially during a pandemic, like just don't do yeah. it. <laughs> you know, oh just prioritize. God. Like you really are investing in yourself. Um, and I know it sucks to pay insurance on something and hopefully you don't have to use it. But like that is that is a safety net that's so important for you to have, especially if you don't have rich parents to just call and be like, hey, I broke my arm. Can you pay for it? Like not all of us have that. I don't have that. Um, yeah. So it's Huge. that's definitely something that I talk about is health insurance. Yeah. Health insurance is so important. So, so, so important. Like, for example, like if you're driving a car and you don't have insurance, you're, that's going to be a very pretty penny to pay for. And, you know, it's it has your ass covered. So I'm really, really glad that you kind of emphasize just how important it is. It's your body. This is what, I mean, <laughs> depending on what kind of work you do, but a lot of the time, like, this is how I make my money. Like, I'm a stripper. Like, I take my body really, really seriously. You got to take care of it, too. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much. Like, it sounds so personalized. And I know we can't go into every single detail today, but which is why everyone listening should go contact Lindsay <laughs> after listening to yeah. this. <laughs> well, and one more thing on that, too, that I think is, you know, we talked about, like, just – like talking to a professional that is sex worker friendly and that's important, but even more so just because a lot of my clients are, are queer or are trans transitioning, there's a lot of healthcare costs that go along with that, that like you shouldn't have to figure out on your own. And a lot of times, like it would be cool if we all had a mom that we could call and be like, help me through this. But unfortunately, like a lot of us don't have those supportive parents, which sucks. And so, um, you know, you want to be able to talk to someone who is supportive and who you can talk to and, and that like you can trust has your best interests in heart. And so that that's one thing that I also get into with clients is it's like a lot of times they're like, I need to save up $25,000 for this, for this top surgery. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. It's one of your financial goals. Like does insurance cover any of that? Can we negotiate the costs at all? Like, do you have to travel or take off work? And that's something that if you're talking to a professional that isn't supportive of how you identify and isn't supportive of like your transition, then they aren't going to be there for you in that. And that, that sucks. You deserve that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, Lizzie, are we able to go a little bit into estate planning and like what that entails? If you want to yeah, share. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because estate planning sounds like it sounds really stuffy and old. And I think that a lot of it is. And um, most of my clients are younger. They're in their 20s or 30s. And so we talk about what applies to them there. But, you know, people don't people aren't stagnant one age. And I, I definitely, you know, would work with clients who are older. Um, and I think estate planning can mean a lot of different things. But one of the big things that I talk to people about is having a living will. So there was a news story about this a while. And I literally don't remember any of the details except like what happened. But um, essentially, 
um, this woman got into a car accident and and was in a coma and her um, husband and then her parents were arguing about what should happen to her in a coma. And so there's a document that you can that you can put into place called a living will where you can talk about, you know, if I become paralyzed, if I go into a coma, like if my, you know, if I, I don't have a partner there and, and my next of kin, my parents are the one making the decisions, you can have a document that overrules that. And for a lot of us who don't have supportive family members or, you know, don't have family at all, like we want to be in control of those decisions. And so while we can, <laughs> I'm like, you know, do the work. I know it's uncomfortable, but like think through, okay, if I was paralyzed, like what would I want my life to look like? Like, what does that decision look like? So that's, that's a part of it. But, um, you know, there is a lot of estate planning, um, like, you know, wills and thinking through your legacy. Uh Um, and if you have kids providing for them and things like that. And so that's really dependent on the, the client, you know, if you have kids, then that's a big part of it. I want to make sure that your kids are taken care of and that what you want to happen would happen if something happened to you. But if you don't have kids, then, you know, that's something that we don't dig into unless it applies to you at that point. Wow. Yeah, I know, like, just estate planning just sounds so morbid. (laughs) Yeah. Or just it sounds like it could be, like, something that's really, really far off that a lot of people just don't think about, including myself. That I'm like, oh, well, I'll just deal with it when I get older or like deal with it when the time comes and stuff too. But I guess your advice is to like maybe you start looking at that and just try to think about now and what you could do now instead of leaving yeah. it all till the well, end. Well, and I think that – yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too is just a lot of people are like, can you just tell me one way or another if I need to worry about this yet? Like do I need to have life insurance if I don't have any dependents? Do I need to have – life insurance if I have a spouse, but I don't have any kids, like, you know, different things like that. And and I'm not going to tell you to get something if it doesn't make sense for you. And I don't get any benefit from recommending that. I'm not like selling life insurance or, you know, making money off of you getting a specific estate plan. Um, so then I can kind of step in and say, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to pay money for that right now. Don't worry about it. But maybe, you know, we'll check back in a year or two and see if that makes sense. Totally. Do you ever help uh, any of your clients with big purchases? Like someone wants to buy a car, someone wants to, you know, they're planning to buy their first home. Do you ever help navigate through that? Because I know like in my sex worker groups, a lot of people have questions. They're like, oh, like what do I put down as a reference if I'm a sex worker? Like how do I navigate around this and that kind of tricky business? Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's interesting because um, as an advisor, like I really want to just be able to answer every question that a client has for me to be a resource. And then if I don't know the answer, be able to find someone who has a who like really knows and, and make sure I'm giving the right answer. But um, a lot of the things that clients come back to time and time again is, you know, tax planning and the mechanics of that trying to handle like different income and, you know, if different platforms get shut down, but a big one is also that big purchase that buying a house. And it's, it's a lot of times it's buying a house because people get to the point where, you know, they never really thought they were going to get out of that space where they're struggling. And then they hit their groove where they've been grinding away at their, at their business for a few years. And they're really hitting their groove where they're like, I'm covering my basis. I I have stable income and like, I want to get a house. And, um, you know, most of the time they haven't had a house before, or maybe their parents or grandparents never had a house. They're like the first in their family. And there's, there's so many questions around there. And so we talk about all of that. And, uh, I am young. You can't see me, but I'm young. I'm 29. Um, but I am on my third house because I really love being a homeowner. Um, 
And um, I got my house. Now I bought my house in Nebraska and it was like $120,000. So it was nothing, but I mean, that's still a lot of money. Just, it's not a lot for a house, especially. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Houses are so expensive. So it was very reasonable at the time. Um, But I was 22. I was 22 when I bought it and everyone was like, you can't do this and you're stupid. Um, Anyway, there's so much work that goes into thinking through working with a realtor and figuring out, you know, how much, not just like how much of a house you can be approved for in terms of a loan, but how much of a house you can afford and what the expenses are going to be going along with that. A lot of times our, you know, the first house that we buy is an older home because we like get a, we get a starter home, we get a fixer upper. And then you have to think through like, okay, does the basement leak? Like, do I have to replace the roof? Are there all these mature trees that are going to fall on top of my house? Like all of these different things. And um, so, you know, we really talk about the logistics of where are you? What are your expenses in that area? Like if you live in LA, can you afford to buy a house in LA or is it more reasonable for you to move somewhere else? Like, is it reasonable for you to buy it and then have roommates? And what if your roommates, you know, don't pay their rent for a while? Can you still make the mortgage? And so, um, there's so many parts of that. Um, and I could probably talk for like four hours on this, so I won't, but, um, <laughs> you know, we also talk about like, like building your credit score and saving up for a down payment and how much of a down payment makes sense. And like, you can negotiate a bunch of these aspects. So it's like me advocating to be like, Hey, when you're talking to your realtor, you like need to negotiate and you need to make sure you're working with people that have your back. And, um, I love homeownership. I'm a real, advocate for that. So yeah. I love having those conversations because it's it's so exciting to get to that place in your life. It's super exciting. I mean, I have a quick question <laughs> since we're in here and I'm sure other people will also be curious about that too, but I'm on my second home here in Vancouver and I know a lot of the times, you know, like your mortgage broker is going to ask for, um, at least here in Canada, I'm not sure maybe the process is different in America, but they're going to ask for a letter of reference from your employer and your employer has to say, okay, they're at least, they've been working for you at least three months and they're permanent full-time employee. How do you get around that as a sex worker um, when you work for yourself and trying to show the money's there and to not out yourself as well? Yeah. So I, that's a great question because totally something that is very dependent on this field, right? Cause it's stigmatized. Um, and I think that, so it's a little different. It is different in the U S. So, um, typically if you work for an employer, um, they would ask for your pay stubs. So they want to know how much you were making. Um, and then they probably also look at your tax return. So like, how long have you been employed there? How long have you been making it? And what they're looking for is, do you have consistent income that's going to make you a good bet for this loan. Like they're betting that you can pay off the loan. Um, So when you are self-employed, and that's the case for me as well, they can't go off the pay stubs because I could just say that I'm paying myself whatever. (laughs) And so they go off of um, your balance sheet, which basically means like how much money you're bringing in each month, how much is leaving because of expenses, how much you pay yourself after that. So they're really looking at how healthy is your financial picture? And they look at your tax returns. And so that's one of the things where I'm like, there are a lot of sex workers for good reason who choose not to report their income. But that's one of the things that kind of like gate keeps you from getting to that next level. Right. Because if, 
like sometimes people will just report, okay, they're like, let's report that I make minimum wage so it doesn't, you know, ruffle any feathers, yeah. but I'm not going to report extra yeah. or um, I'm not going to really say how much I'm making in tips. And the problem with that is then they can only look at what is legally recorded, yes. right? So if they look at the IRS and they say last year, you know, it looks like you made $20,000 last year. They're not going to approve you for that loan unless you have a co-signer that has the legitimate job. Right. And so like, I'm not going to say all sex work because that's too much of a generalization. A lot of sex work is very much legal and there's no reason why a mortgage lender wouldn't give you a mortgage based off of that information. You just have to be accurately reporting it. And oftentimes, you know, for a long period of time. And so that's where I come in and I'm like, this is legally what should be available to you. So if that, if you go and talk to, you know, the mortgage wing of Wells Fargo and they're being shitty to you, that's because they're being shitty. But we can talk to like another company that is going to not be stigmatized towards you because what you're doing is legal. You're reporting it. You deserve to be a homeowner and we're going to walk you through that process. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of like understanding, like what is your legal rights? What what can you actually do? And like understanding how to play the game so you can get past that, like misogynistic or whatever customer service rep that you're talking to that's like no you're a sex worker I don't care you know? <laughs> really really cool here oh my god Lizzie I know we're running out of time here but quickly quickly um because <laughs> I respect your time here too but um do you have any tips for the upcoming tax season <laughs> at all to the top of your head what what's your your surefire advice that you want to give people I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, so I did, I don't know if I can, I think that I can. Um, I just wrote an article on Cam Orbitz about yes. this, which I know I read stuff it. that you um, Amazing. have have talked about. So I talked a little bit about that. Um, but I, I think the big thing is if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're really struggling, just talk to a tax professional. Because what's hard is that if you mess up on your taxes, that can be a really big deal. And if it's, if it's, if it's an accidental mistake, like it's, you know, you forgot to enter a zero or it's something that when you get audited, you can tell the IRS, like, I really didn't intentionally do this. I just messed it up. Like so many people do that. That's not a big deal. But if you are intentionally being like, yeah, I made a hundred thousand dollars last year, but I'm only going to report 40. So I have to pay less in taxes. Like, they're going to eventually find out and tax evasion is that's is huge. really um drastically uh don't do <laughs> it on in the US. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't yeah. Do so it. <laughs> that and the important thing too that a lot of people don't realize is that um the IRS, I know the government is all one body in the US, but the IRS is definitely a separate wing. They really just want you to report their income. They don't ask you specifically how you got it, especially if you're self-employed. So you could just say that you do coaching. You could say that you do consulting. Um, you don't have to say like, I specifically do like furry play, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like you can just leave it at that. And and even if what you're, and I'm not recommending this, but even if what you're doing is is illegal in your area, it is much safer to report that income than to not, because what they really care about is you not like paying your dollar, not yes. how you're making it. One hundred percent. Oh, so so much good advice here, and I will link that that article that you wrote in Cam Orbits because it was insanely helpful with the real dollar amount and like examples yeah. and stuff too, which I think will be really really helpful. 
And I'm sure if you want to listen to more of Lindsay's stuff and her knowledge and her resources, you'll have to listen to her podcast, which is also in the show notes below. So, but there are some questions that came in as well. Just a few questions. So we'll kind of teeter off into that section of the show. So uh, we'll go into the first question here from Twitter. So how do I go about listing my experience in this field in future career applications or even just explain the gap in time when that is all that you do? And it looks like you're magically affording rent and groceries off no salary. What do I do? Um, so I, I, I think it's very, I mean, this is my opinion. I'm sure, Steph, you have a different opinion on it as well. But I think it is very specific to where you are applying. Yes. Like, ideally, we want you to be applying to some place that loves the whole you, and that includes the sex work. And there are people, obviously, like, if you're in the Midwest or if you're in, like, a very conservative area, it's going to be harder. But there are really people who are open-minded and who um, are supportive of what you're doing. And so it can be specific if you if you are applying to something who, you know, claims to be a progressive organization, then say what you're doing. And say, don't just say what you're doing like, you know, I was a cam girl. Say, like, how that translates to you being a good employee. Say that you did a bunch of social media marketing. Say that you were good at branding. Say that um, you had to figure out new platforms and um, you had to pitch yourself constantly. And these are, we talked about this earlier, but these are skills that are really valuable and are hard to teach. Like, it is hard to teach someone branding. It's hard to teach them social media management. Um, So that's something that's really valuable. If you feel like it isn't a place or you just don't want to risk it, just put in that you were freelancing. Yeah. Yeah. So you were freelancing during that time. You were making money. You know, there are a lot of people that make their money off of um, Fiverr Upwork. Um, So like go that route, say what you're doing. Just don't say that it's specific to sex work. And also it's like none of their business. Yeah, totally. And like similar to you, yeah, as you said, like it really depends on what kind of industry you're applying to and what kind of job you're applying to as well. So for me and like what I've – advice I've given to some of my peers, um, if you're a stripper, I usually just say like, oh, I was a server. And you could also use, like, you know, people from the club to, to kind of vouch for you as well. Uh, say you're a server or bartender. Um, if you are taking a gap, I always use that time. It's like, oh, it's like a gap year. And I was taking time to you know, work my resume, take, take some courses if maybe that's something you're looking into to kind of upgrade or get some certifications. You could also do that. Um, or as Lindsay mentioned too, uh, listing that you're freelancing or working as a consultant for whatever industry you're wanting to get into or something administrative or marketing or something brand wise. Cause that's usually a lot of the areas that we as sex workers are already doing with our own businesses. So that's my advice to you listener. <laughs> um, this friend here is pretty technical, but if you co-sign on a loan with a non-family member in the event of a death, can you sue their estate for the remainder? Okay, so I'm not going to be able to give a specific answer. I would love if whoever wrote this question, if you want to reach out to me specifically, I'm happy to, you know, try to help you with it. But it's going to be very specific to your situation. This is a great reason to have not necessarily even pay an advisor, but like know the people that when questions like this come up, you can talk to and that's going to be a reliable source. 
but that's really dependent on, um, you know, how things were laid out in the will. Um, usually that's something that goes through like probate court. So basically that's the court that says, if you don't have something written down in a, in like a trust document, it tells you, okay, this is, this is who gets whoever's assets when someone passes. You know, a lot of times you can argue that, um, but Honestly, like if you're working with uh, an attorney and an attorney that has your best interest at heart, which they should, um, then that's someone who would be able to walk you through the exact details of that. Kasha, that's still an amazing answer that you have a lot more knowledge than I do. (laughs) Thank you. I have no comment on that. Um, But yes, for whoever wrote that in, please reach out to Lindsay and she might be able to help you out. We'll just need a bit more context, a little bit more details of that one. So that's that. And the last question, what unique things can you write off for taxes that no one thinks about? Um, so, I mean, I think there's the, <laughs> I, this is obvious to me because it's the first thing I would have a question about, but I did have a client the other day that didn't realize she could write it off. So if you have any, essentially, if you have anything that you're using for your job that's specific to that. So let's say you have a wig that you specifically put on for OnlyFans, you don't wear it in your normal life. You can write off that. So that would be essentially you get you get your gross income, so the, the total income you get, and then you would be able to deduct the price of that. So if you spent $80 on the wig, you would deduct $80, and then you would pay taxes on the remaining amount. They call it the net income. Um, so there's a lot of things like that that are very specific. One that wouldn't be specific is... Let's say you got extensions um, and you're like, yes, this helps in my work, but also you wear them in your real life. Like you don't take them off. Then that's not something you can deduct. So, you know, if you're if you're buying makeup products that you wear all the time, finger fingernails, if you get fake nails, um, that's not something you can take off. But anything that you're putting on. So um, but that's also for sex toys. So if you're if you're buying a dildo that you're specifically using for videos, you can absolutely deduct that. Again, this is for the U.S. I don't know about Canada. And the other thing that if you're self-employed and a great reason to be self-employed is that um, you can deduct a portion for, they call it your at-home office. That's a different kind of meaning if it's, um, if you're doing sex work, but if you have a designated space. And one thing that's great about that, that I did for my own business this year, is if you're self-employed, you can say, okay, my office is 200 square feet. And my house is 1,500 square feet, so I can deduct a certain percentage, the percentage of your square footage of the utilities. So if I'm paying electricity, I can deduct a certain percentage of the electricity, which is awesome. So there's things like that, you know, internet. Um, So a lot of people don't think about the things that are like partially deductible. So that is, again, something we go over because every business is different. Yes, yes, yes. And very, very, very similar to how it's done in Canada too. So Check, check, check all these boxes for all the Canadian listeners that are listening as well. Um, there are a lot of things that I write off as well. Everything that Lindsay wrote up, uh, everything that Lindsay mentioned is <laughs> things that I write off of my taxes too. So, yeah. but Lindsay, this has been an enlightening conversation. But before I let you go, and so no one has to listen to my congested nose and voice anymore, where can we find you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I I'll make you some tea or something. Um, okay, so the finding me. Um, my website is stripperfinancialplanning.com. Um, you can find all my links on there. I do have uh, Twitter, which is a shorter version of Stripper Fin Plan because I can fit it all. Um, my Instagram is Stripper Financial Planning. Um, and then I have my own podcast, A Scoop of Vanilla. So 
as the title shows, I am vanilla. Um, <laughs> and I have a, a variety of people on the show, but I really try to focus it on like genuine conversations that are helpful. And so um, my last show was um, uh, with a roommate that I used to have, and we both um, grew up in households that were really like modesty, purity culture. So we were just like shitting on that, talking about how like, which I think is something that's very common of with people in sex work that they grew up kind of in like a repressed area. And then they're like, the world is my oyster. And they're like, sex work would be cool, you know? Um, so I think that, um, and we talked about that a bit, just like how much how much your views on things can change over the course of your life. So um, that's where you can find me. Um, I hang out on Twitter a lot. So you can find me there as well. Yeah. Yes. Sexpert Twitter is a shit. <laughs> it's sure. amazing. But that's it for today, everyone. Don't forget, it is Strip by Sia on all podcast platforms. Maybe rate me five stars if you like it on Apple or Spotify or write me a nice little review. I do read all of the comments and all of the reviews. So uh, write something in there if you'd like, good or bad. I read it all and I take it all. So that's that. It's Strip by Sia on Twitter, Strip by Sia on Instagram, or my personal just Sia stuff. Uh, my Patreon again, patreon.com slash Strip by Sia. And I think that's everything that I have to mention there. But <laughs> new episodes every single Sunday and we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D., Graphic design by Maria Bellandarama and photography by Ian Dabrin.